Hi there, and welcome to the R3 podcast, a podcast about revival, renewal, and revitalization in the local church. I'm Paul Tillman, pastor of Parkwood Church, a revitalization work in the Twin Cities of Minnesota. And I'm Jeremy Gertis, pastor of Deborah Heights Wesleyan Church, a revitalization work in Des Moines, Iowa. We're just two pastors in the trenches of church revitalization, here to encourage and ignite the imaginations of other revitalizing leaders. And we are so glad that you're here. Welcome to episode five. Last time uh, we talked about clicks in churches and that led us to talking about guest retention and how to follow up on guests. Today we're moving forward and it's more with a look at attitudes of people. We're going to title this spirit of competition. So Jeremy, what is a spirit of competition? I think we're going to define a spirit of competition as the sense that it's either us or them. And in the church, that is, you're looking at the other church up the street and saying it's us or them. And one of us is better than the other. Uh, One of us needs to survive when the other one should be dying. It's us or them. Yeah, that, that makes sense. There can only be one church in this town or at least one of our denomination in this town. <laughs> so uh, as opposed to there is one church uh, yeah. body. <laughs> yeah, we absolutely get possessive of the people, the territory, the resources, whatever it is. We, we think that it should come to us rather than somebody else. And we very much get possessive of that stuff. Yeah. it And it's, tricky because even in not a huge town or even in, I've seen in very small rural towns, there might be multiple churches just because there are people of different denominations. You know, there, there might be a Lutheran church, a Roman Catholic church and a Baptist church all in one very small town. Yeah. The town I grew up in was 2,500 people. And we counted one time that there were 13 churches for those 2,500 people. That seems like a lot, but if you divide it out, that's still 200 people per church. And none of those churches, well, a couple of those churches could handle 200 people. And that that's that's probably the big point that we need to get back to. We'll say it at the beginning and we're going to say it at the end. There are plenty of people who don't go to any church, who don't know Christ at all. Absolutely. <laughs> so there's there's no need to be jealous of the amount of people that another church has because there are plenty of there is plenty of harvest. Absolutely. I've seen it estimated that if you added up the seating capacity of every church uh, in our community, we wouldn't even have enough for 50 percent of the population. And when we realize that, we've got to recognize that we need more churches, not fewer churches. And we need all of our churches that we already have firing on all cylinders. Uh, So we we got to be each other's biggest cheerleaders. If you see somebody out there that's that's doing a great job ministering to the community, don't get jealous of them. Cheer them on and vice versa. Yeah, it's tricky because, you know, and I can say this as as a pastor or or in leadership or even congregation members, are we jealous or intimidated by what the other congregation up the street is doing? Yeah, that's a definite sign that we have an issue of, with competition, isn't it? If, if we're jealous or intimidated, but also are we just complaining? Are we complaining about how that other church is stealing all the people or all the money or all the 
territory or whatever it might be? Are, are we complaining that that other church is stealing our stuff? Uh, yeah, especially of people. Do people speak condescending of other churches? Uh, one of the reasons why there's other congregations and denominations is because we don't believe exactly the same on every issue. What? That doesn't mean that the church next door to me is a cult or is, you know, heretics. Just because we don't believe on every issue doesn't mean we need to talk bad about them. Absolutely. Now, there are legitimately cults and heresies yes. and that kind of things. And we're not trying to say that that's not a reality. But the truth is, there are a lot of different churches for a lot of different people covering a lot of different beliefs, and they're all still well within the umbrella of Orthodox Christianity. So that, that's kind of what we're talking about here. Uh, we, we should not condescend those. I, I think one of the biggest signs, though, of whether your church has a spirit of competition is when somebody asks why your church is the way it is, whether it's the size or the things that it is, do you blame another church? Is the primary reason that your church doesn't grow or change or whatever because that other church down the street? If that's the case, then you've got a problem. You're blaming them for your issues, and that is not going to be a good thing for health in the long run. I, I think coming from a smaller church, uh, my examples will probably be like, oh, that that mega church in, in the next town over is sucking all the people away. But it could even be a large church or mega church that can need revitalization or, or revisioning. And so it's not limited to small churches to have this spirit of competition or jealousy. You know, uh, a large church can, can be condescending of the small church. Absolutely. You know, we, we should just, they should, all their people should just come over here. <laughs> so. Yeah. That's, a, that's absolutely what we're talking about here. Uh, if, if you think that everybody should come to your church and not that other church, we got a problem. Um, this really is a big deal, too. I, but it's, it's not like it's a new deal, right? Uh, this kind of a thing has been around for centuries. You can go all the way back to the church at Corinth. And they weren't necessarily jealous of the other church, but they were jealous of each other. And jealousy is as old as the mountains. So I, I think maybe a good thing to do here uh, is to explain why this is a bad deal. And let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12 to do that. What do you think we find in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul? Well, he's talking about unity there and, and, and the gifts. And one of the main things he says, there is one body. And he's not just talking about there is one congregation. He's talking about the church, the whole church at the time, you know, not just the church in Corinth is, is one body and it has many parts. So just as an individual congregation will have different parts, different members with different gifts, but the same spirit. So too, multiple congregations are many parts. And we have to remember the church in Corinth, just like every other city, wasn't just one congregation. They met in houses. So there were multiple congregations, even in Corinth. For sure. I think we can also see in uh, verses 14 and 15 of 1 Corinthians chapter 12 that 
there there's this idea of competition if the foot should say because i'm not a hand i don't belong to the body i'm not good enough to be part of the body because i'm not a hand or uh, the the flip side of that i uh, would be hey because you're not an eye you don't belong to the body you know that kind of a thing going on I, there, there's this condescending spirit going on and i think the apostle says very clearly the body is not one part but many and we need those other parts. We've got to have them. They're no better. They're no worse. Whether your church is bigger or smaller, richer, poorer, whether it has a contemporary worship style or traditional worship style, it doesn't matter. We need all of those churches because there are different uh, emphases and slightly different doctrinal values. And, and there are different personal opinions and tastes and styles that people like and and so we need all these different churches to minister effectively to all the different people that are in our communities oh i like how you said that because it's not just to minister to all the different preferences of christians it's to reach different types of people um the the apostle paul said you know i've become all things to all people that by all possible means i might win some well not every single congregation can be all things. That's true. Uh, in fact, uh, one of my favorite passages is Revelation chapter three, where Jesus is writing to the church at Philadelphia. And he says to them that he has opened a door, one opportunity. The idea is that there are other doors that he has closed. And so that church can't do those things. But there's one door that they've that he's opened to that church, and the other doors are open to other churches. And I, I think it's absolutely essential that we recognize that we have got to have all these different churches, big, small, you name it. Everyone is indispensable. And unless we start treating them that way, we're going to have problems. What else do we see here in uh, 1 Corinthians 12? Well, in verses uh, 24 through 26, you know, Paul wants there to be no divisions in the body. And and that the members would have the same concern for each other. And so just as interpersonally in a church, in a, in a congregation, we'd want to have that amongst our members. So to church, to church, we should rejoice with each other when, when another church is accomplishing something, you know, we should be happy. You know, if, if Jeremy reports to me that somebody got saved, I don't get jealous that somebody got saved at his church. I should be happy that somebody got saved at his church. If another congregation is, is fulfilling the Great Commission, be happy. We don't tear them down. Yeah. And we should encourage each other. That's easy enough to say, because my church is in Des Moines. Your church is in the Twin Cities of Minnesota. There's four hours of driving between us. So you can be happy for me and I can be happy for you. But what happens when it's the church literally next door? Like you have a church right next door. Do you celebrate with that church when they're doing well? Yeah, I try to. Uh, it depends on who is in leadership there, how much communication we have. Uh, I'll say from my point of view, I, I do take that walk across the parking lot and send emails to the pastor next door. So I certainly make the attempt, but it really depends on, on the leadership there and how much they want to do together. But we make every opportunity when they have a big event and they give a call and say, hey, can we use your parking lot as overflow? Absolutely, they can use our parking lot as overflow. They're doing something good you know, for, for the kingdom. Yeah, use our space. And they would do the same for us. Um, right. So, 
it, it's, you know, it, it's, my job is not to make it harder for them. <laughs> no, we should cooperate and encourage each other and help each other out whenever we possibly can. I, you mentioned uh, that simply talking to each other. And I, I think maybe that's the, the most common symptom of a competitive spirit. That is that we just don't even talk. We don't even acknowledge the existence of these other churches in our community. Um, and we certainly don't collaborate with them and try to make a difference together. That's not okay. And there are ways to work together, especially when doing stuff in the community. Uh, from, from my experience, what has happened is we've, as we've done more community outreach and community service, it started off, we were alone doing that. And then we found that there were other churches in a similar growth cycle that were also doing revitalization in our area that they found they could join what we were doing and we could do it together and do it better that way. And now they don't always join together with us because they've become healthy enough to do stuff on their own. And I don't take that as a cut on me. I'm glad that they are becoming more healthy and doing more outreach. Um, but yeah. if I had never allowed them in, you know, they, they, that might not have happened or it might've been a longer path for them. Yeah. And even sometimes they take over. Um, I'll give a specific example. We started partnering with the city, uh, the city when it's not COVID time has a big thing in the fall called family fun inflatables where they set up in the park, all these big inflatable things. And it's just free for the whole community of the kids to come out and play and they need people to come out and work the inflatables. So you sponsor one and you send out, you know, workers to keep the kids monitor the kids. Well, we started doing that several years ago and you have a little table out and it gives you a chance to advertise for your church or business, whoever's out there. The first year we were the only church out there. Second year, we were the only church out there. The third year, a good third of the groups out there were churches from our city. And it got to a point where we didn't need to do that anymore as part of our outreach. We didn't stop because other churches were there, but we had other things that were better for us for outreach. But the person who was in charge told me, you guys started this. If you had never started volunteering to be a part of this, all these other churches came because you were here. That's huge. Our our church has cooperated with other congregations in the community as well on a number of fronts. Uh, we we do teacher appreciation barbecues for two different schools, um, and uh, we do that with a Lutheran church that's not far from us. And uh, they're much bigger than we are. They have a lot more diversity than we do. And I we've had people that say, you know what? we're not going to come to your church because they're bigger and they got more stuff going on and we like that better. And uh, so it would be easy for us to say, well, we don't want to have anything to do with them, but because we recognize that there are still 3000 people within our immediate neighborhood that need to know Jesus, we're more than happy to work together with this other church and throw a few burgers around and whatever else it might be, whatever we have to do together to get people to Jesus, we're, we're happy to do that. As, as I look at this passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, I come to the end of it and I, I find myself pondering, what does it mean when he talks about God has appointed these in the church, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers? How do we apply that 
to our churches rather than just individuals. And, and, and the only answer that I can come up with is that these people have jobs. They have work that needs to be done. And if they're not doing their work, then they're in trouble. So also, if our church is not doing its job, it's in trouble. The only church that we should condescend is the one that is not fulfilling its mission, the one that's not out there trying desperately to make more and better disciples of Jesus. And then it's even not to condescend, it's to encourage to get in the game. Yes, absolutely. Uh, we want to bring them alongside and, and get them into the, into the mission for sure. I, I think the worst example of this that I have experienced, at least in recent times, came about a year or so ago. I, I was asked to to sit on this panel for some ministerial students uh, in our community. And the facilitator, the, the professor was asking questions of about five or six of us pastors, you know, how do you do ministry in this context, that kind of a stuff. And, and the question that he asked was, how do we do ministry in the shadow of the local megachurch? And in our community, there is a whole bunch of bigger churches than ours because we're a very small church, but there is one church that is bigger than everybody else. In fact, they're the biggest, fastest growing church in the state, and they're right on our back door. They're launching campuses all the time. They're doing all these different amazing ministries. It's ridiculous, the stuff that they do. Ridiculously awesome. Now, as we're sitting there on this panel and the, uh, the professor asked the question, so what do you do? How do you minister in the shadow of this local megachurch? Uh, I was surprised as all of the other pastors in the group immediately began trash talking this church. They, they were saying things like, well, they might have a lot of people, but they're very shallow in their teaching. So if you want shallow teaching, go there. If you want deep teaching, come to us. They were saying that uh, I, they, they are excellent at all these crazy ministries, but if you want life change, you got to come to us. And, and there was all these different things that they kept talking about. And I, it came to me and I said, we're excited that they're in our community. We're not in competition with them. We love having them here because they're doing amazing things that we can't. And we're going to do amazing things that they can't because that's what the church does. I think we've got to get over this idea that it's us or them. We've got to get back to the reality that we are all in this together, whether it's a big church or a little church, a rich church or a poor church, whatever it is, we're on the same team. I, th I think there's naturally this, this, fear that we could lose our people to the the mega church or they will steal our people but at the same time that same fearfulness can be happening in in the mega church that we can't keep track of all our people and they may filter out because we don't get them connected and stuff like that i love that you said that there's room for both to minister um i had a couple call me up they were looking for a place to have their wedding ceremony and and so i said oh come on in and i'll show you the the church and they liked our facility and came in my office and i was going over the contract of what it would be and they noticed the picture of my family on my desk and i happen to have a multi-ethnic family and this happened to be a multi-ethnic couple and they said we were just wondering 
we know we were just here to rent the facility, but would you be willing to officiate our wedding? And I said, you don't have a pastor? They said, oh, well, we go to such and such a church. They named our local mega church from us. And I said, you don't have a pastor there that you do your wedding? They said, well, the church is so big, they would just assign us a pastor and we wouldn't really know who it is. But we see your family and it kind of looks like what we want our family to be like. So we were wondering, would you officiate our wedding? And I ended up doing that. That was something that I could do as a small church pastor, give them that personal touch that they wouldn't get at the mega church. Now, they continue to go back to their big church after they did the wedding, but I got to minister them for three, four months so we could do premarital counseling and all that kind of stuff. Now, not not everything is competition. Sometimes there's also an attitude of not wanting to change, and that could come out in different ways. Um, it could be for a small church, well, we don't want to get any bigger because whatever reason, this is the way we've always been, or we know everybody. There's a lot of reasons. And even a large church cannot want to change because of this is, well, things are already going good. This idea of not not wanting to move forward, not wanting to grow, and this is not just growing numerically, but growing in uh, ways to minister to people, ways to make disciples, that will put a church on plateau or decline. I, I think you've hit on something there that's significant. Right before we started recording, we were talking about uh, different companies that you would think are in competition with each other, but instead they recognize that the objective is to push each other and uh, propel progress, uh, if you will. Uh, and I think that we as churches can do the same thing for each other. If, if instead of looking at each other and saying, well, we're going to stay here and do this our way and it's always going to be our way, we look at the other one and we say, hey, look at the cool stuff that they're doing. What can we do that's also cool? Not necessarily to take over their, their spot, their ministry, but to augment it, to complement it, to, to make sure that we're all moving forward together, uh, to, to use it as a a, uh, a spurring action. That, isn't that what it says in Hebrews that we're supposed to spur one another on toward holiness? Well, maybe we can spur one another on toward evangelism and effective ministry. Crazy idea. Yeah. And some, sometimes that looks like copying. If I'm on the south end of town and there's somebody on the north end of town that wants to do the same thing, that might be fine because people might not want to drive to the south end of town to do what we're doing. Um, so it could be it could be a copy or it could be something that goes alongside, um, uh, like you said, to, comp to complement. Um, that's, like I said, I mentioned the thing about the inflatables event. That's one reason why we stopped is churches copied that and we didn't feel the need to continue. We, we started looking for a new relationships with the city outside of inflatables. Di you know, different ways to, to, to minister. So it, it opened up doors in with the chamber of commerce and, and with uh, city hall, <laughs> instead of just working with the rec department. So um, sometimes you look for new ways to do stuff. For me, people who want to stay the same. And one of the things that we need to watch for when we're trying to revitalize is people who are never adopters. Um, and Somebody who wants things to stay the same or stay small, 
if especially if they vocalize it, that person is very likely a never adopter. And so that that's something that needs to be watched out for. Because there are ways to keep some stuff the same and yet still grow forward. Not everything needs to be completely upset the fruit basket and turn stuff over. If a church in its current facility and in its current community wants to stay at a certain size, I, I'll, I'll use my church as an example, just the size of our sanctuary. If, if we were around 100 people, we would have to change things to get bigger. We would either have to split off and do two services or, um, or expand our facility because our sanctuary maxes out at 150 and that is jam packed. Like I've, no I've been in your sanctuary, 150 <laughs> yeah. people. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We That'd can get 150 like people. standing room yeah. only. Yeah. It's, 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 it's stifling. Um, so what do we want to do if we, if we want to stay at a, you know, at about a hundred people? Well, okay. Then we need to change stuff. We need to have two services or we need to say, Hey, we're getting over a hundred. We need to plant somewhere else or send some people to plant somewhere else. We could stay the same size and still be growing. Absolutely. So here's a question. If we are supposed to be thriving in an environment where there are multiple churches, but we're not supposed to be in competition with these multiple churches, what does that look like? How do we minister in that way? It's the same thing that you read in a lot of the business life cycle texts, and it's about finding your niche. Who are we ministering to? Um, I want to be really careful with this because it's it would be really easy to fall into the uh, homogeneous unit principle where it's like our niche is people just like us. Okay, so I was going to bring that one up uh, as, as a way to define your niche. Uh, that that principle is championed by uh, Saddleback and Rick Warren uh, in in the Purpose Driven Church. They talk about their their uh, guy Saddleback Sam, who is the typical Saddleback member, the person that they're trying to reach out to, and he is a middle class professional. I uh, in his 40s and 50s and I suppose now 60s because that book is now 20 some years old yikes oh we're getting old Paul that is getting a bit dated because it was it a way to grow a church numerically um, I think people are seeing now it's not a way to grow a church in a New Testament model and by that I mean reaching every nation tribe tongue you know, it's, it's not multi-ethnic, it's not multicultural, it's not, doesn't cross socioeconomics. Right. So maybe a better biblical model is to look at Acts 1-8, where it talks about being witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth, and, and define our niche geographically, as in we're going to minister to the people in this area and draw a circle around your your church and say, this is it, um, maybe a mile radius or a two mile radius or a five mile radius, depending on the size of your church and how many resources you have. So maybe that's a way to define your niche. That, that's a, certainly a good way to look at it and say, yeah, who's who's here in our community? Yeah. And and our that's one of the things we want to do is we want to reflect 
our community. Um, now, individual ministries might or that we choose to do in that community might also define a niche. Um, right now, for us, we are, <laughs> and I don't know if it was COVID that caused this or whatever, but um, we, our facilities become a safe, considered a safe place in our community. Um, people can gather here and and feel like they're not going to get sick. So over the last year, we've had blood drives. We are having uh, mobile mammograms here. We're going to have flu shots here. So this is this has become a place for health and safety. That's become our niche this year as, as a facility for health and safety. That That's something that our community needs right now and recognizes. And so it's given us an outreach. And, and so that that's not targeting a a socioeconomic group. It's it's not tar targeting an ethnicity. It's just a niche ministry for our community that it needs right now. And you know, two years from now, we might have a different niche that we are known for. Or maybe we've expanded it and and that's what we become known as. It's like, man, you go to Heartwood Church and they're all about keeping people healthy spiritually and physically. That would be awesome. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that actually brings up another thing. Your niche might change over time. And that's one of the reasons why we have to be constant and regular at our revitalization efforts that we can't just say, oh, we've gone through the process. We figured out what our vision or our mission is and we're going to do that and we're done. You can't do it that way. You've got to constantly reevaluate that stuff and come back and say, uh, what are the needs of our community? What are the strengths of our congregation? What are the resources that we can bring and how can we put them to work uh, helping out the people around us so that we can minister effectively? That That's really what it is. We've got to ask that question over and over and over again and trying different things a mistake i made was trying to force a niche on us we're going to be this church um that that at least i'll say it didn't work for us what worked for us is just trying to minister to our community and finding out oh this works people like this this is actually helping people and so you pursue those things Yes, I, I agree with that entirely. I think that one of the reasons that the homogeneous principle worked for Warren and Saddleback is that they did that from day one. They were planting the church from scratch and they came in saying, this is the niche that we're going to minister to. At our church, we are located in a specific place and the demographics of that specific place change over time therefore we cannot have the same ability to say this is what it's going to be to minister right here we've got to come back and review this on a regular basis if we're going to continue to minister in this place rather than to these people it's, it's a good way to to encapsulate how multiple congregations can be ministering in the same community not in competition yes you know one there are plenty of people who don't know the Lord. There are more people that don't know the Lord than do. So there's plenty of fish to catch. And two, we all can have our own niche uh, by our strengths. Um, so we're not competing with each other. We are simply ministering to different people in different ways. Well, thank you for tuning in today. We're so glad you've come and joined us again. 
We would very much appreciate it if you would subscribe to our podcast, like and share it with your friends and and leave us some feedback because we're always interested in making things better.